Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Scope 4 Capital is an investment management firm focused solely on climate solutions in the public equity markets. Founder and CEO Heather Beatty is committed to climate solution investment and the great reimagination of economic growth by directing capital towards drawdown when levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere stop climbing and start to steadily decline, thereby stopping human-induced climate change. Scope 4 provides investors with a roadmap to net zero and creates an opportunity to invest in the economic transition to decarbonization. Heather also co-founded Women in Institutional Investments Network, a Los Angeles-based 501c3 as part of her dedication to the advancement of diversity, equity, and inclusion in sustainable investment. Hello, Heather, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm very excited about the opportunity to record whatever you want to tell us about your firm today, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) And we're going to jump right into those questions because we've got a lot of ground to cover. The first thing that I would like to ask you is, what's the attraction for you to investing solely in climate solutions in the public markets? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people ask us that. And I think the answer is twofold. So the first piece is why climate solutions? And we think that the investment in climate solutions specifically is a multi-decade secular trend that isn't going anywhere. So regardless kind of of what's going on in any one year or country, obviously climate change isn't going anywhere. And we're going to need to address it, not just from an adaptation standpoint, but also we're going to need to focus on the solution because the problem itself is going to continue to compound if we don't address it. Um, And so we're focused very much on the solution. Um, And then just in terms of allocating capital to public equity markets, uh, we think that that does need to be specialized and there needs to be some thoughtfulness um, around that. And so, as you know, a lot of capital has gone into private markets, uh, mega cap companies. And so we think that the sweet spot from an investment opportunity is is somewhere in between that. All right. So let's tell our followers what inspired you, in addition to what you've already said, to launch Scope 4 Capital. I view myself as an investor, I'm obviously now an owner of a company, and I'm also a mom. And as a personal investor, in both private and public market strategies and climate solutions. Um, as I began to really invest across what I call the climate continuum, I had a really hard time uh, finding specifically public market strategies that I think um, were interesting and focused on alpha. If you just sort of think about a lot of conversations that I know you've been having um, in ESG, oftentimes public market strategies are just focused on low carbon or companies that are transitioning to a lower carbon set of scopes for their own company. Mm-hmm. And so that really prompted me to uh, want to launch a company that that was really focused on mitigation um, and not just kind of investing in Apple or Microsoft, because at the end of the day, their business model doesn't really reflect a scaling of climate solutions. Right. So that's that's one 
piece that inspired me. The second piece is um, I read Project Drawdown and had the um, the pleasure of developing a relationship with Jonathan Foley, who's their executive director. Um, are you familiar with Project Drawdown? We're very familiar with Project Drawdown, but I'm going to ask you to tell our audience a little bit about it from your perspective. Sure. So Project Drawdown is an NGO that um, focuses on what they believe are the top impactful, about 100 different climate solutions in the world that, if scaled, would actually um, address the climate change problem. Uh, so it's a group of scientists, academics, experts across the field of climate science, and um, they put out a variety of different uh, educational pieces and are now partnering with a variety of different entities across governments and, and finance to help educate our world and community about that. Okay, and tell our followers who the founder is. Uh, Paul Hawken. Paul Hawken is the founder. Yes, I know. Uh, he, although he's he's um, shifted a little bit, actually. He's not quite as involved in Project Drawdown anymore. But he's he wrote another book after that, too, called Regeneration. Yes, and he is, of course, one of the great thinkers in this whole field for a very long time. And so it's very exciting that you're engaging in portfolio management strategies that are aligned with that work over time. And of course, as you said, there's a whole community of other people deep into the climate science these days who have taken up that work. So right. give our followers a couple of the benefits of investing in public markets for the climate opportunity from your perspective as uh, an investor and an asset manager? Yes, yeah, so I think oftentimes uh, when people talk about climate, it sometimes just depending on um, obviously the person, it can be a really binary conversation around whether or not to invest in oil and gas over the medium to long term. In addition, obviously, to transitioning away from fossil fuels and, and kind of going back to that project drawdown piece that we talked about, uh, there are so many different climate solutions in this world that just needs to be scaled today. They're already impactful from a climate science standpoint and also economically viable. Uh, and so if you just think about investing in public markets as it relates to climate solutions, there's an ability for the investor to rotate into a variety of different themes or uh, even invest holistically into a variety of different themes and then sell out or sell into a theme uh, or a name, for example, if it isn't executing uh, or a technology comes along to disrupt a solution, which is something that you obviously can't do in private markets, typically more in private markets. And obviously, I'm speaking more generally. It's, it's either focused on a particular a country, let's just say the U.S., so you can invest globally um, in public markets, and then you might just invest in one segment of that. And oftentimes, it's a technology that still needs to be scaled and needs to be proven out, and so it obviously takes a long time. Uh, so you might be familiar with the term um, "time value of carbon," mm. and it's it's a it's just a concept that says. Um, Greenhouse gas emissions reduced or avoided today are more impactful and important and valuable, if you will, than if they were to be reduced uh, 10 years from now. Because as we know, carbon and a lot of greenhouse gas emissions compound in the atmosphere, creating 
a bit of a compound effect, and that's what's created today. And so a lot of public companies are able to scale these solutions that are already viable in a really big and meaningful way. Uh, So that's one reason. Another piece, if you just think about liquidity, it's super important just across all portfolios to invest in a variety of liquid and illiquid strategies based on your risk return profile. Um, Oftentimes, public market strategies are um, more cost beneficial, if you will. You're not charging two and 20. Um, You can learn a lot about different climate solutions um, investing in these types of strategies. So those are a few things. And, And maybe one last piece that I talk a lot about with our portfolio manager, Robin, is um, that often, oftentimes public companies are just held more accountable um, because obviously we're marking to market and you can operate as more of a voting machine in public markets than you can in private markets. Obviously, you can't really divest away uh, from a private market strategy if the, if the company isn't executing, which is something that you can do. Um, or you can obviously vote through proxy voting or stewardship or engagement. Yes, I know that the, this approach to investing in the public markets uh, has been quite popular in European economies and, and in Europe for for some right. years now. The idea behind it, as you suggested, being that if you can help a company get better at using climate uh, forward technologies, then you have the potential to actually increase the value of your investment over time and not just be buying the companies that everybody already thinks are the whiz-bang leaders for uh, right. the next 20 years. Uh, do you have any examples that you can share or is all of that stuff closely held information uh, with the portfolio manager? Just in terms of names in the portfolio? Sure. You list your top 10, your top holdings, I'm sure. We uh, do, yeah. Public consumption, yeah. That's true. We list our top 10 holdings. Um, So uh, an example that I like to provide is um, we've actually been pretty overweight Japan uh, this year. And actually now we're we're trimming quite a few of our Japan, uh, Japanese companies because we're finding European companies and some U.S. companies that have really been beat down a little bit more interesting. Um, but we have owned for the entirety of our portfolio, a company called Hitachi, for example, um, which a lot of people are very familiar with, but think of as more of an industrial company. Um, what a lot of people don't realize, and this is where we think the opportunity is, is that, um, they have a huge, uh, multi-billion dollar R&D portfolio dedicated to climate solutions. And so that R&D portfolio we think is very undervalued. Um, they're focused on, for example, Grid electrification, which is a huge uh, theme in our portfolio just in general, um, and infrastructure uh, technology. Also, train electrification, which is a huge focus for Japan itself. Um, they also do a little bit uh, less core to their business, but I think interesting, wind blade recycling, which is really important from a circular economy standpoint, and drone afforestation. So all that in just one company, that kind of sort of proves out some of the things that I was saying in terms of these large public companies really being able to scale. Um, so that's that's one example of a set of climate solutions within a large company um, that we think is undervalued. And then another example might be Generac, uh, which is more a little bit more of an adaptation story. But if you just think about they are leaders in the in the generator space. And so US households 
only 5% actually own a generator and there are going to be increased blackouts uh, year over year for the foreseeable future as a result of our um, grid kind of failing us and uh, all the variable energy coming into that. And so if you just think about that from a profitability standpoint, if that number just went from 5 to 6%, um, that would dramatically improve Generac, uh, their stock price and profitability overall. And, and more recently, they've also acquired a couple of other companies uh, that are really interesting from a climate solutions standpoint in the buildings market. So that's a very interesting um, perspective uh, as sort of a, a what I would call a, you know, a transition market play within a portfolio where the expectation is that the future climate issues that we're going all going to be going through are actually investment opportunities for companies like this. Uh, right. So that's one area of climate investing that you're obviously focusing on in scope four. What, any other opportunities that you're excited about right now? Yes. So I think just on a go forward basis, mm -hmm. we are going to probably be looking a little bit more into emerging markets. Um, for example, a lot of things have happened on the ground in India. Um, they definitely are looking to be more of a substitute for China from a manufacturing standpoint. And um, they're obviously going to need quite a bit more energy to be able to do that and a lot of infrastructure. And we think that on the margin, um, that it's going to come from wind and solar. And so it, we're currently looking at some emerging uh, countries in India at the moment. Um, from a China standpoint, we've actually lowered a lot of our exposure to China just from a governance standpoint, some of the issues that they've experienced. We did sell out of the majority of our solar and wind names in the second quarter, but they are the global leader in electric vehicles. So we own some companies there. And, you know, I know it's, it's an interesting and, um, controversial conversation as to whether or not to invest in China. But at the end of the day, they really are very dedicated to, uh, climate solutions. There are a lot of investors today that are focusing on the energy transition, as you've already mentioned, through the private markets. And that seems like a good strategy when you're looking for long-term high growth investments. What segments of climate should be allocated to the public markets from your perspective and why would investors do that? Yeah, that's a really good question, Paul. And I, I want to preempt this by saying uh, sometimes investors say we invest in the energy transition in private markets and not in public markets. And to me, it's not a competition. I don't think it's a competition. It's actually kind of a hand in hand and it's all part of the life cycle of companies, right? And so when you think about private equity, oftentimes it's really important for them to be strong investors in the early stage of any company or any themes life cycle, if you will. So if you just think about energy storage as an example, um, they were strong investors kind of in the early stages of that. And then in a way, they kind of handed it off to public companies to scale. And now we own quite a few companies in our portfolio uh, that sell energy storage to utilities. And that's going to continue to grow. So that's one example. To me, private markets are really going to be great for things like aquaculture, um, where they're, it's still in its nascent stages and it needs to sort of figure out what, uh, how it's going to scale. If you think about a lot of 
investors have been talking in private markets um, about seaweed. Um, another area would be just nature-based solutions in general, as we are, I think, as, as an investment community, trying to figure out how to price externalities, if you will, in nature-based solutions. I think the private markets are going to really have a hand in that. And then areas like regenerative farming, private markets, maybe the private credit piece. Um, and then sort of on the flip side, climate solutions, it needs to be anything that can scale. And we, that's what we talked about a lot so far today is we already have the solutions that we need. We technically don't need any additional technologies. We could actually just scale all of the solutions that we currently have. And so there are a ton of solutions that are currently profitable today that just need to be scaled. And that's the area where public markets come in. So building energy efficiency is a huge piece in our portfolio. We invest in insulation, for example, and LED lighting, uh, building automation systems, smart thermostats, so on and so forth. Not a lot of people are talking about that from a hype cycle standpoint, um, but it's actually an, a critical piece of mitigation and uh, an area that public markets can really play well. All right. So you've talked about some themes and solutions, as well as countries uh, that are part of your portfolio strategy right now. Uh, what are you anticipating adding to in the portfolio going forward? Um, so we have historically been underweight Europe, uh, mm. underweight solar and underweight wind, actually, until just recently. So we're taking advantage of the market drawdown in solar and wind. So if you think about solar, there are two different ways to place solar. Uh, the first is obviously through residential, and the second is through utility-scale solar. And the market's just been trading down on solar across the board, so isn't really uh, perceiving the difference in the businesses, the business opportunity, if you will. And so we've been adding to utility-scale solar, both in the European and the U.S. market. We do think that residential solar still has some challenges. Uh, and then in terms of wind, obviously, again, there's offshore and onshore wind, Specifically, offshore wind has been having a ton of challenges, um, and then and then onshore has really come down with that. And so we've added there to to upgrade the quality of the portfolio because a lot of really high quality companies in the European and U.S. market are are um, on fire sale. So um, I, I really want to emphasize that this is a huge opportunity to invest in the climate space right now. I would argue that there's been a bubble in climate uh, really since the last couple years and the announcement of the IRA. And there's been a lot of uh, quick money kind of moving in that direction. And just similar to, for example, the tech bubble, the time to invest in it as, is when it pops. All of the, the rationale behind investing in these companies are there. They're going to continue to be there for the long term. And so uh, we're really excited about the opportunity right at this moment as a result of that. You know, they're the first offshore wind farm for New York State is in the early stages of fabrication and, and production. And one of the major players in that whole process is Orsted, who I'm sure you're familiar mm -hmm, with. Mm -hmm, and yeah. that's, a, that's a company that has been specializing in, in 
clean energy production for well over a decade now. In fact, I think they've transitioned almost their entire portfolio to clean energy from um, old forms of energy production and utility scale energy. So that's a that's a that's a type of company that I think of when you're talking about the 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 go forward opportunities here because it is a time where there's a lot of controversy about how do you connect to the grid and how are you going right. to transfer you know all of that sort of thing how are you going to build out the transmission lines and all well all of those yes. things have gotten figured out and worked out over and over and over again over the last hundred years i think we'll figure them out this time so <laughs> I do too. Um, to your point, that's definitely a huge theme in our portfolio. We are uh, very much adding to companies that, for example, sell power transformers. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's actually a great example of where um, inflation helps those types of companies, right? Um, I think a lot of investors are worried that inflation is going to be a headwind to investing in climate. And in some cases, that's true. And the same thing for interest rates. Um, but for companies uh, that are contributing to the grid, there's literally a multi-year backlog there. And pricing has gone up two times over the course of the last, you know, one and a half to two years. And that demand is a hundred, you know, overwhelming the supply. And so we think that it's going to continue to grow by 50, you know, 50% through to 2030. So um, I think we're going to figure it out too, because a lot of companies are working on it. That's true. Now, Heather, let's talk a little bit about the challenges and rewards of launching an investment firm today and what kind of advice that you have for entrepreneurs, especially women who are coming into leadership roles. As we know, women in leadership in financial services has been very small percentages of leadership for eternity. Uh, and that's gradually and slowly changing. So how do you work with those types of issues as a woman who's leading an investment firm today? So two things. The first is, I think it's really important to find your tribe um, or to find supporters, mentors, people under uh, under you, your peer set, people kind of above you as as greater leaders, and and um, I think that oftentimes takes time, but that once you do find your people um, in periods when you feel uncertain, uh, that's the time to really tap into people who you know have your back, if you will. That's part of the reason that I launched uh, the Win organization. Some of the people in that organization are literally my lifetime long friends. Um, and industry colleagues. So I think that's really important. Uh, the other piece, just you had asked about entrepreneurship. Um, that's that's a whole nother ball of wax. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's critical for women to launch firms in the investment space as another part of having a seat at the table. And I'm sure that you know the statistics around. Um, assets that are allocated to women and minority-owned firms in the investment world is only one to two percent. It's even lower in the VC world, um, but it's also not for the faint of heart. Uh, and so, for women and anyone, literally, um, who are thinking about launching their own firm, I do think that one, it's important to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable, uh, and and realize that your level of uncomfortability that you feel. Uh, over a multi-year cycle as you grow a brand or a business um, is just going to continue to pop up in different ways. 
And it's really important that you just understand that it's not, it's not going to be easy. And, um, and then the second piece is I personally believe that there needs to be a purposefulness around any business that gets launched or created because in the times that one does feel uncomfortable or as a woman, you feel uncomfortable in say a male dominated industry coming back to the purposefulness by which you've watched the organization, uh, makes everything easier. It's easier to lean in. It's easier to, to, to forge ahead. Um, and then the last piece is all about team. I certainly would not be able to do anything that I'm doing without the team that I've built and my, my teammates at scope for. So I feel so lucky to have built as such an amazing team of truly diverse individuals that all have a growth mindset. Um, and I mean, diverse of background, thought, gender, race, anything that, that you can really think of having a diverse team, uh, isn't enough. It has to be a diverse team where people respect each other's views, ask critical questions, are open to having their mind changed. Um, and so, you know, I think I would argue that the investment world is probably one of the most conservative parts of, of industry in general. And, um, and so, sort of embracing a little bit more of a creative mindset has been really helpful for me. Good. So it's it's good for us to meet other disruptors in the industry because that's <laughs> that's a, it's an interesting part of what we're trying to do as you know around all of the climate technologies and all of the yes. sustainability focus that we put into this work uh, through the media as well. So Heather, where online can our listeners and our followers learn more about Scope 4 and your focus on climate solution investing? And how can followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast contact you with questions about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode? Yeah, sure. So I think probably the best way is through our website, which is scope4capital.com. And there are, there are uh, thought leadership areas that you can click on and watch a variety of videos and read. We haven't even talked uh, really about the taxonomy that we've developed or the proprietary universe that we've developed. And so I would encourage people to do that to see the level of depth that, um, that we've gone to, to, uh, build out a framework that's really sound from an investment standpoint. Um, and then you can also, of course, click on get in touch and, and we're happy to continue the conversation with you. Great. Now, if you can send us any links to blogs uh, or research papers or whatever we can attach to this program in the Bright Talk channel where our home office is, if you will, for the podcast, then our, our followers can access them there. Or as you suggested already, they can do the same thing on your website, I would imagine. So, all right. Well, thank you again very much, Heather Beatty of Scope 4 Capital and to our followers. Join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable.